I once, and I will probably share this every year within like somewhere near New Year's. I once had a friend who actually made a New Year's resolution to start smoking. Um, <laughs> he said it was the easiest New Year's resolution he ever made. <laughs> but like for the most part, usually like our New Year's resolutions are like good things, right? They're like things that would be like good for us. They're like healthy decisions, like saying, hey, I'm not going to get like as many takeaways. Instead, I'm going to try and bring lunch to work, right? There are things that, that you know, generally are, are good things. You know, usually people's New Year's resolution is probably more like not smoking or um, maybe like not drinking so much or, you know, trying to be kinder to people. And, and the reality is, and, and I think Luke has always pointed this out as well, is that most people by this time have failed. <laughs> They've either given up their New Year's resolution or have been pretty terrible at keeping it. That by the, by the time this, this part of the year rolls around, like gym memberships, like, you know, January is like the golden month for gym memberships. And like, you know, and then by February, there's nobody in the gym again. Like, you know, like, but they're still reaping in all the money. Like it's, yeah, so like harvest season for the gyms. Um, because we all intuitively know there are things that are good for us that we should do. But a lot of the times, the things that aren't necessarily good for us are a lot easier because... Well, sometimes they're just more fun, <laughs> right? Like, it would be nice to eat, a, like, a steak for every meal of the day. <laughs> but old heart disease is going to come calling, you know? Like, it's one of those, I know, I know it's not great for me, but, man, would, I, would that be pretty easy for me to do, right? So, so temptation, right? It's temptation, that gets us, right? We try with New Year's resolutions often to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, to take a bad habit, a temptation of ours, and to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Instead, the new me, right? And, and it's hard. Even if you've ever succeeded at it, you know it took an enormous amount of discipline because it is hard. Temptation is temptation. Sorry. Temptation is temptation because it involves something we like doing. Okay, and so I think we need to recognize... But, I'm terrible at slides. There it is. Temp there it is. Temp <laughs> There's some music. What is going on? This is why I should not be in control of this. Okay. Jeez. Uh, ah, okay. There it is. We'll get there eventually. Not that it's like that profound anyway. Like, you know, but I was told I need to think of things to put on the slides. No, okay. Temptation is temptation because it involves something we like doing generally, right? If sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it, <laughs> like, right? So temptation is hard to overcome. And so we come to this point in the prayer, and I think there is like an element with which we come to it and we go, man, I can totally identify with that. Like, I need to pray that. Like, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, from the things that I know I shouldn't be doing. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, that there are things I want to do, and yet I find myself not doing those things. And then there are other things that I know I shouldn't be doing, and man, those are the things that I find myself doing. It's this like, we know this tension, we know this struggle. It is real for every single person on the planet, this struggle of temptation. And so this prayer is for you, this prayer is for me that we would not be led into temptation, that we would not fall into temptation. So I'm going to rewind here for a second. Let's go ahead and let's recite the Lord's Prayer together. Um, 
If you have it memorized in another version, that's great. We're going to use the New Living Translation. I'm going to have to read it because, again, it's not the one I have memorized in my head. But, like, let's just read this together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. All right, let's, let's just pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we come to you, Lord, having prayed this prayer. And God, I pray that in our lives it would be becoming, be becoming more and more of a reality of the way that we pray, the recognition, God, of who you are and our desperate need for you. God, I pray that as we walk through this verse, God, that you would illuminate our eyes, the hearts, the eyes of our hearts, God, our imaginations to understand, God, what this means, the significance of resisting temptation, the difficulty, but also, God, the good news of, of what Jesus has done for us. God, I pray that all of these things would become clear, and uh, God, that you would be with us, uh, Lord, as we, as we walk through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I said, temptation is temptation because it involves something we like doing. Now, verse 13, if you look here, um, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Who has a different Bible besides the New Living Translation? Or who learned this verse? When you learned this verse, maybe if you, if you learned the Lord's Prayer, how did you memorize it? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right. Okay. So, and that's verse 13. That is verse 13. So, so let's just right off the bat recognize there are some issues going on. Like if we notice that the New Living translates it a bit differently and leaves out a whole chunk, right? For yours is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's not in there. What we need to understand is that the oldest manuscripts, first off, don't have that doxology. That for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Does that mean I can't trust my Bible? No. <laughs> Not at all. And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic. We could talk about, you know, we could, I could put on my, my glasses with tape in the middle and push them up over my nose and we could talk about textual issues in the New Testament and all of that. And I would love to talk to you about those things. And if that's an issue for you, please, after the service, let's talk about those things. Okay, but for the, for the moment, I'm just going to say, don't let that worry you. Even there, everything that that doxology says is absolutely 100% true, and we can find it in other places in the Bible. Okay, so, um, so then we end with, in the New Living, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. But like, as we pointed out, most of us learned, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So... If we're thinking about that old version, does it lead you to the question of, would God really lead me to temptation? I think that's the first question that we have to ask in, in this passage is, is it really saying, is Jesus really telling us to pray, God, don't tempt me? Is that what he's praying? 
Is that what he's teaching us to pray? Because in some ways, the way that that has been traditionally translated, that's kind of what we could get out of that, isn't it? And in fact, interestingly enough, Pope Francis has noticed the same issue. I don't know if you guys have, have seen this in the news. Like, this was like a big deal. Pope Francis is proposing, or has proposed, and I'm not sure that it's official now that the Catholic Church has changed the Our Father, to, to now say, do not let us fall into temptation, just like the New Living has translated that, which is interesting. I don't know that I always agree with Pope Francis on things, but here's a place where I think Catholics and Protestants, we can see eye to eye on this issue, when you actually get into what is Jesus trying to communicate? Do we believe that God tempts us? Well, no. No. Like when you read the Bible, like you see that the exact opposite is true. God reveals himself as a good father. God is, is loving. He's kind. He's patient. God, like, the one thing he can't do is sin. You know, like, he's not going to lead us into temptation. That's not who he is. So if it's not actually saying lead us into temptation, why have we kept in a confusing, typically kept in a really confusing translation of that phrase? One is because it's the most literal phrase. And another is because that's how the King James did it, and it's how we all learned it. And so they've kept it there, but the New Living and some other newer translations have decided that instead of giving you the exact word-for-word -word literal translation, that the Greek word there that's translated tempt um, can also be translated like test. Okay, so you've got like this, again, you have some ambigu ambiguity in the word, and I realize I'm getting a little confusing here, but here's what I'm trying to say. That, that the New Living and Pope Francis and others, what they're doing is saying, we need to actually get to the root of what, what Jesus is saying here, what he's really getting at. And what he is really getting at, what Jesus is really getting at, is the prayer to ask God to keep us from falling into temptation. To keep us from, and not just falling, but failing in temptation. To give us the strength to overcome temptation to overcome difficulties and trials in our lives, to make us stronger Christians. So we can look at what Jesus says, along with what James says in James chapter 1, consider it all joy when you face various trials, for it will help you to grow your faith. I'm paraphrasing immensely there. But like, it will cause your faith to grow. And we can look at the Beatitudes that Jesus has already said in, in Matthew chapter 5, in the same sermon, in the same section of teaching, where he says, blessed are those who mourn or who suffer. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. So even Jesus recognizes that this life isn't always going to be fair to us. That there's going to be temptations and difficulties and trials. And so what Jesus is praying is not, hey, God, don't, don't try and tempt people into doing bad things. But rather, it's saying, when these things come, when these things come, God, give me the strength to overcome them. And so, we pray, then, do not let us yield into temptation. It's actually a really good translation of this, of this section. It's a helpful one because it helps us to understand the actual meaning behind what Jesus 
is praying. All right. So let's, let's look at this then, at this idea of how we pray. So the first thing, there we go. The first thing is that we need to pray for God's help to resist temptation. That's what I was just saying. This, this petition, um, this prayer in 613 is not an avoidance for all tests. It's not to pray like, God, don't let anything bad ever happen to me. That's not what Jesus is saying to pray. Right? He's not saying that. He's saying, but when these things come, protect us. Help us. You know, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 13, that God will not give you anything, any temptation that you cannot bear. Right? If you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13. 1 Corinthians 10 is really a good, um, probably a, a, just a good section of if you want to read that one uh, at some point later, just in, in kind of Paul is kind of expanding on what Jesus is saying here, I think. Um, but in 10.13, he says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us to pray here. God, give me a way out. When I am tempted, give me a way out. God, help me to overcome that temptation. And so I think we see, again, um, just as a summary here, that God is not the one who leads us into temptation, but rather we pray that God would help us to overcome temptation. So in our lives, because you know yourselves the things that, that tempt you. You know yourselves the things that, that, that you do that are not good, that they're not right. And every single one of us could make our own list of those things. None of us in this room is exempt from that. We could all come up with things that we do that are probably not great ideas, probably not good things. Um, or, you know, to use a word the Bible uses, that are sin. And we need to pray, God, help me to overcome those things. So the first thing is that we recognize then that we need God's help to resist temptation. I think I've probably covered that one pretty well now at this point. But what I don't want us to do is to get this idea, well, it's something that God does to me. So I'll pray that God will, will you know, help me to resist temptation, and then he's going to zap me, right? Like he's going to like, pew, when you're like, you know, you're tempted, like all of a sudden, pew, you know, and then, oh, now I won't sin, right? Like I become a robot, and I just walk the other way, and like that's it. Well, no. No. We pray that God will help us to resist temptation while at the same time we actively resist temptation. So we pray for help, but then we also do play our part in this. The big fancy word for that is called synergy, right? Like it's synergy. It's this idea that like we get to cooperate. Like there's a cooperation that happens. We work together to make sure that this doesn't happen. So God gives you the power to do it and then it's up to you to do it. As a working together, a cooperation, God partners with human beings. This is one of the amazing things of the, of, of the Christian view of, the, of life, of, of humanity. That God created humans not just for the fun of it. God created human beings to partner with him. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 2. You go and read that. That God created human beings to partner with him. 
Isn't that incredible, guys? We so often just, we could gloss over that to say, yeah, okay, God, you know, God empowers me and then I need to do my part. Think about the amazing thing of that. That God says, I'm not going to give you a bunch of rules that you can't keep and not help you to keep them. Instead, he says, look, I love you and I'm going to help you to live this new life that I've called you to live. And yet at the same time, God doesn't turn you into a robot so that you have no choice. No, God says, I desire relationship with you. I want partnership with you. And so we get to partner with God in this. It's not just something that is, you know, zapped into us, but rather God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us the ability to obey. Now, do we always obey? No. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't. And to be honest, I don't think um, we're ever going to get there on this side of new creation, I, I, you know, like where we're perfect in every way. None of us are Mary Poppins. You know, we're not going to get to that point where we're practically perfect in every way, Right? But it's a process of partnering with God and learning to partner with him more and more and more so that I become less the person that I want to be and more the person that God created me to be. And as I give up myself and submit more to Jesus, I actually become more of who I want to be. I just didn't know I wanted to be that person. That was really confusing. <laughs> I'll try and say it again. That as I give up my hopes and my dreams for myself, as I submit those to the Lord, as I submit those to God and say, you're king, you know what's best. Help me to live the life that you want me to live. I find out that the, that the life God wanted me to live all along was actually the one I wanted to live to. I just didn't know it. And so often we hold on to these temptations. We hold on to these sins thinking this is what will really make me happy. This is what I really want. And if we would only just give that piece of our lives to God and say, no, you take it. You know what's best. We would actually find that whatever this thing was over here is a pale comparison to the goodness of knowing and experiencing Jesus Christ. And so we pray, God, help us to resist this temptation. Not just for the sake of not doing something bad, but for the sake of becoming who you always wanted me to be, who you designed me to be, who you created me to be. And I think that, that is, a, that is a, a big change because I think we so often, we just look at temptation like, well, you know, God's up there in the sky. He just wants to take away all my fun and he doesn't want me to be able to have the things that I want to have. You know, like we live in a world that, that, that kind of looks at other people sometimes with suspicion. Everybody's trying to, to take away my fun. I want to be able to do what I want to do because only I really know what will make me happy. But the Christian actually says, no, I don't know what's going to make me happy. I believe that God does and that that's actually where I find true, real, lasting happiness. And that is like a mind-blowing way of like, like, it just, it completely just annihilates the narrative and says, actually, no, this is where I find life. It's by giving it up that I find life. I think Jesus said that somewhere, right? And so I actively resist temptation. Jesus, in Matthew 26, 41, says, keep watch and pray. He says this to his disciples in the garden, right? He tells them as he's going off to pray, he says, guys, keep watch and pray. 
so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And we know that to be true, don't we? That the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. That is our story over and over on repeat, isn't it? And that's why we need more and more of the Holy Spirit. We keep watch. We do our part in trying to resist temptation. And we pray, trusting that the Holy Spirit will help us to resist that temptation. And so we pray for help. I'm on the right slide. We pray for help to trust God in times of temptation. We're tempted so often. Again, as 1 Corinthians chapter 10 points out, we're tempted to trust in other things. I think I've already hit on that. That there are other things that we look at and say, no, this is what's going to make me happy. I put my trust and put my eggs in this basket thinking this is where I'm going to find fulfillment. This is what's going to make me happy. And as Luke talked about last week, that's idolatry. It's putting anything else above God and saying it's more important than God. And so we're tempted to trust these other things. But what Jesus is telling us is, no, you can trust God to deliver you. When we pray, lead us not into temptation or let us not fall into temptation, what we are doing is saying, God, I trust you to deliver me, to help me through this. It's a humbling recognition. We're tempted to make our trust sometimes conditional, aren't we? You know, one of the interesting stories, there's a, there's a story in the Old Testament of a guy named Gideon. All right, and you find it in the book of Judges. And, and God meets Gideon in a wine press where he's hiding from his enemies. He's terrified. And rightly so. They're pretty bad people. And God says, look, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to make you the leader and you're going to win the victory. Now, you can imagine going from hiding in a wine press to all of a sudden being told you're going to be this victorious general. It would be a little bit hard to believe, right? But what does Gideon do? He lays out a fleece and he says, God, if when I wake up, the ground all around me is wet and the fleece is dry, then I'll know this is what you want me to do. And God humors him and does it for him. So Gideon then becomes a great general, right? No, no. Gideon actually goes, okay, okay. What about this? The ground is dry, the fleece is wet, right? And God humors him again and does it again. Now, are we meant to look at that story and go, wow, Gideon, he's a great, you know, he really, he really had faith there, didn't he? No. That story's meant to go, jeez, Gideon's walking a dangerous line here. He's putting God to the test. Like, we shouldn't lay out our fleeces and say, God, when you do this, then I'll do that. If you do this, then I'll trust you enough to do that. But not until then, right? That, that actually, that's not what God calls us to do. In fact, in Deuteronomy, Moses gives this direct command, but he's talking about a story that happens in Exodus where the people of Israel have been getting all kinds of things from God, right? They've been getting uh, manna from heaven and quail and like God has provided for them continually. And the people go, no, 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 we need water. And we don't trust God. We'll only trust God if he gives us water. And in that story, Moses says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, God kindly gives them water, but it becomes a command in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, it becomes a command. And so we put God to the test. We make our trust of him conditional based on him giving us things. And God says, no, that's not the way I work. 
We're tempted to put God to the test, which a lot of commentators would see that, that this text of Matthew, this do not let us yield to temptation, but to rescue us from the evil one, bears a lot of similar resemblance to this idea of putting God to the test by testing his patience, by testing his kindness. We put God to the test when our daily bread is not enough, just like the Israelites. We put God to the test when we accept his forgiveness but refuse to give it to others. So we should not put God to the test. We need to pray to God for help to trust him in the times of temptation. We need to trust God to lead us through the temptation and out the other side. And that can be really hard. That can be really hard. Because I, I, I realize I'm not standing up here and giving you like the easiest thing in the world to do. This has this been the struggle for Christians throughout history. Like I said, Paul talks about it in Romans 7. Like if somebody like the Apostle Paul struggled with this, you can bet you all of us are going to struggle with it too. And that's why we need to, to pray to ask God for help and to trust him then, to learn to trust him to lead us through the temptation. And if you have ever been through a serious trial or a serious temptation and come out the other side, you, generally speaking, if you're a Christian who, who, who has prayed through that temptation, you can look on the other side and go, man, I realize that was not my power that got me through that. And the more we begin to, to experience the faithfulness of God, I think, the easier it becomes to trust. And so, man, if you've never done this, it's hard. If you've done it a thousand times, it's hard. It will always be hard, but I do think it becomes progressively easier as we see God's faithfulness in our lives to trust him in the times of temptation, to see us through the other side, to deliver us from the power of evil. That is a real thing. Evil is real. Some translations translate this the evil one. Some, translates the, some translate this evil. Maybe. <laughs> Which one is it? I don't know, but does it really make a difference? Not really. <laughs> evil, the evil one. You know, is it the is it the is it talking about a, a like like Satan, the Satan, or is it just talking about evil in general, which Satan is responsible for? Whichever one, it's two sides of the same coin. Okay, it's this delivering from evil. Think about that for a moment. What we're, what we're praying there is that God would give us victory over evil, systematic evil, that it is possible, that even that we're called to pray for it tells us that it is possible for the Christian to begin overcoming evil. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, like pirating a movie. We get that power as well. So if you're one of those movie pirates, like there's power in the gospel for you, um, but, like, it's more than that, too. Things like we've talked a lot at church about human trafficking, all of these sorts of things. Like, we can actually believe as Christians that it is possible to overcome this evil. It's possible for you and I to break out of the system of evil to a certain extent. Now, we could go down a long philosophical rabbit trail about whether it's possible to completely break out of a system or not, okay, but what I'm saying is that God gives us the power as a church and as individuals to overcome evil, 
in a way that we didn't have before we were a Christian. It is a unique thing to the Christian. Jesus, we, we read in Matthew chapter 4, we read this really interesting story of Jesus overcoming temptation, right? So in Matthew chapter 4, if you want to turn there, um, that's great. I'm just going to give you the overview. Um, Jesus goes out into the desert to pray. And when he goes out into the desert to pray, somebody comes and meets him. And that somebody is, is Satan. And Satan tempts Jesus. And it's interesting, I think, too, that Jesus actually quotes, do not put the Lord to the test, to Satan. What, is, what does Jesus do every time Satan comes at him with a temptation? Quote scripture. Jesus did not put the Father to the test, but rather he trusted in his power and God's lordship over all creation. God didn't, or Jesus did not put the Father to the test, but rather he trusted God and relied on him. And so I think this is not the primary point of that passage, is that you just need to quote scripture at Satan. Like, that's not the primary point of the passage. We'll come back to it here in a second, and we'll get to the primary point. But I think it is a point that when it comes to overcoming temptation, one of the best things we can do is actually know what God says about things. Imagine that. Know what God says about things. And that's not just going to get zapped into your brain. You're going to have to actually read something. And I know for some of you, that's a struggle. For some of you, you read too much. Like, you know, like, is that like loving too much? I don't know. Um, but like, we need to, you know, find a way to hear God's word. Man, if you're somebody who just goes, I cannot read. I just can't do it. There are audio Bibles. And there are really good ones you can listen to. You need to be listening and hearing the word of God so that when temptation comes, the spirit can give you the words to help overcome that temptation. So Cyprian, it was an early church father, said, what fear hath he from this life who has God through life for his guardian? Now, the problem with a lot of these early church fathers is they were translated a really long time ago. So we have these like, hath um, he from his life. But I think, do we get the point? Why do we need to fear? What fear do we have left if God is my guardian? That we can overcome temptation. And so we were created, as I said a moment ago, to share and enjoy and partner with God. And we do that partly by resisting temptation And so when we resist temptation, we are partnering with God. We're partnering with God to stop the rot that consumes our world. Isn't that crazy? When you think about that, every time you overcome temptation, what we are doing is beginning to reverse the rot that is ruining our world. I think we recognize the world is not becoming a nicer place, a happier place. Uh, You know, it's becoming a more violent place than it ever has been before because we've built weapons that are even more destructive than ever before. The world is not like becoming this utopian society. And as Christians, we can enter into this world, this world that is suffering and full of pain, and we can help stop the rot through the choices that we make by by choosing to partner with the Holy Spirit and to live a life that is different and it is counter to the rest of the world. And so God's desire is to partner with us to change the world. And this change then is only possible through submission to Jesus as Lord. 
It's not something you're going to be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do. You're going to have to give your life to Jesus. And that's a hard thing to do. That's a really difficult place to start because it's a scary place that says Jesus now is thy king. And in a real sense, not just like in this kind of like, you know, Queen Elizabeth sort of sense where, you know, sure, I'll, you know, salute her when she walks by or whatever. I don't know. I'm not British. I don't know the proper protocol there for the queen. I'd, I'd give her a salute, I guess, if she walked by. You know, I don't know what you're supposed to do, but you know what I mean? It's not this like salutary sort of like, oh yeah, Jesus is king, because that's how most of us live our lives, isn't it? We live our lives looking at Jesus as king in the same way most of the world looks at Queen Elizabeth as the queen. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, yeah, she's a queen of something. I don't know what, but yeah, sure, I'll call her queen. So it's scary. It's scary to go, no, actually, this person now has control over my life. Because Queen Elizabeth doesn't have control over much of anything. You know, I don't think she would have, uh, she would have waved her magic wand and made Boris Johnson appear. I just doubt that. You know, she doesn't have much control over a whole lot. But the Christian idea of Jesus as king says, actually, he has control over everything. He is Lord over all creation, and we submit to that. We submit to that reality. And so this change is only possible in so much as we submit to Jesus as Lord. Even this submission is only possible through the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And so, we conclude. In Christ, through his death and resurrection... We've been delivered from enslavement to the powers of fo- and the forces of evil. You guys, that's the good news of the gospel. You and I are free from the powers of sin and evil. That we don't have to be controlled by it anymore. Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 1. I, I still think, man, Colossians is mind-blowing. That what it tells us about our, our status now as Christians living under King Jesus, that what Jesus has accomplished is this incredible thing. He didn't just save me from, you know, doing bad things, but he has broken the power, the power of sin and evil, that it no longer holds the same sway over the Christian. We've been delivered from enslavement to the powers and forces of evil, and so now we partner with Jesus and becoming more of the people that we were always created to be. And so Jesus now lives and he pleads on our behalf and the Holy Spirit empowers us to live like Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8. If you're in the community group with Luke, you're going through that. And that's a powerful passage about what, who Jesus is, about what he has done, and about what it means for you and I. So we now live with the possibility of bringing God's kingdom to bear on the situations and circumstances where evil has prevailed in the past. And and again, I don't want to just bring it into physical evil. The thoughts of people often lead to terrible actions. That actually God is Lord over our thoughts. The God, you know, Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 6. <laughs> Jesus is Lord even over our thoughts. That's what we're saying. That every single piece corner shred of our lives belongs to Jesus and it becomes possible then to bring the kingdom of God to bear on all circumstances and situations. We're not completely free from the grasp of evil. We're not. 
There's this aspect of already but not yet. And we're not going to spend time going into that at the moment. But that when Jesus returns, evil will be done. There will be no more evil. That's, that's, that's the end. That's the way the story ends. We live in this in-between time where we get to partner with God in seeing the world become more like what he always wanted it to be. The Holy Spirit leads us through our trials and temptations so that we may begin to reverse the curse of sin. We reverse the curse of sin. Where we once failed, we can now succeed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus. So I just want to return as I finish to Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 11. Because often we turn to that passage and say, I just need to, you know, if I quote scripture at, you know, at Satan, then I can overcome sin. That's a good point. That's not the point of the passage. Because the point of the passage is actually something so much bigger. Because when Satan came calling to Adam, what happened? Adam fell. And actually, what's interesting is the story of Adam looks an awful lot like when you set them side by side, the story of Israel. That God gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. And what happened? Satan came calling and they began looking like the rest of the world. They went out into the wilderness and they failed. But who didn't fail? Jesus. Jesus went out in the wilderness. Satan came calling and he succeeded. Where everyone else throughout all of history had failed, Jesus succeeded. Matthew is trying to emphasize that Jesus succeeded and that because of Jesus, you and I can now succeed as well. And so I I just want to plead with you to think about this. As we look at the this, this prayer within its context, Jesus has said, look, humble yourself, recognize that I'm the one who provides for you everything that you need, right? Jesus has said, I fed the birds. Won't I feed you? Aren't you more important than the birds? He forgives our sins, though they are many. And he empowers us to live as new creations in this world marked by sin. The holy God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, has the doxology that typically comes at the end of this says, to whom belongs the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.